Serving up the strategies you need to build, market and monetize a profitable, future-proof business around your expertise. This is the Youpreneur Podcast. And here's your host, international business mentor and best-selling author, Chris Ducker. Well, hello there and welcome to episode number 493 of the Youpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ducker. As always, it's great to have you with me. Today, we are back with another interview format show. My good buddy, Ali Abdol, is in the house. Yes, we have the YouTube rock star himself in-house talking all about productivity, what we need to do to be able to become more productive, what it can mean for our businesses, and more importantly, what it can mean for the impact that we actually have in the world and the people that we serve. Before we get into that conversation with Ali, though, just a quick announcement for you. We are back baby. We are coming back to London July 14. We are making our triumphant return to our home city of London, England with our first live event in the capital since November 2019. I'm super excited to be bringing the One Day Business Breakthrough event to London, and it's going to be a great day. Not only are we going to be able to get together with a bunch of amazing, smart, savvy entrepreneurs to really work on our businesses together, but we're going to be joined by none other than Daniel Priestley, the founder of ScoreApp and one of the best keynote speakers the UK has to offer. If you want to spend a little bit of time with myself and Daniel and everyone else in person, you can grab your ticket at one day bb.com right now. If you don't know, the One Day Business Breakthrough event is a one-day event that is very, very intimate. We're going to focus on transforming your business in those eight hours, and we're going to really fall in love with our businesses all over again. So join myself, Daniel, and everyone else that's going to be there July 14 in London. You can head over to onedaybb.com to grab your ticket before they're all gone. Make it happen, and I'll see you there. So once my conversation with Ali, uh, we get the opportunity actually to sit down in his studio as he was interviewing me for his podcast. I said, hey, dude, when we're here together, let's hit record and do one for our audience as well. If you don't know too much about Ali, he was a doctor who just recently decided to step away from that career and go all in on YouTube. And um, boy, has it been a really, really good move for him. Millions of subscribers, hundreds of thousands of viewers per video, and just a really, really nice guy to sit down and learn all about, you know, how he's really focusing on helping people become more productive in their daily lives, in their businesses, and obviously, like I said, having that impact that we're all, we all want to have, right, with the people that we're serving. So enjoy the conversation with myself and Ali. It's a real good one. Youpreneur FM, your number one personal brand business podcast. Ali, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Oh, this is good. So we're, we're now, for you guys tuning in and your audio right now, um, we're actually shooting this on video as well because we're in your studio in London. Yeah. You very graciously said, hey, while you come to me for my show, why don't we film one for yours? And I'm like, let's do it. We're here. We could go in a lot of different directions chatting to you, but we've only got about 30 minutes or so to do so. And so I think what I really want to do is double down on the YouTube format. Sure. 
personal branding, what you've done uh, on everything YouTube. You've kind of blown up. You're walking around. You've got a couple of silver plaques. You've got a gold plaque out there as well. Um, and it's all, I mean, this is a lovely setup. Like, this is your full-time thing now. You're rocking and rolling. But it wasn't always like this. Can we rewind very quickly? You were a doctor. Yeah. Like an actual practicing doctor. That's the one. Yeah. So, but now you're a YouTuber. I know, it's, 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 weir it's weird. Um, my mum still does not like that fact, but. <laughs> I was going to say, like, to become a doctor, I mean, that's no joke. That's financial investment. It's time and energy investment as well. How, how many years is it, like, after A-levels? What are we looking at, like, six years? Yeah, it's like or? six years of med school, and then you start training, and then the doctor training pathway itself is sort of 10 years-ish. So I was two years into that, that doctor training pathway. So six years of med school, and then two years of actually working. Wow. Okay. So obviously at the same time as you uh, studying and, and when you began practicing, you then, you're YouTubing at the same time. That's right. But it was all like productivity stuff, right? Yeah. So the, the YouTube channel actually started in 2017, so six years ago when I was a final year medical student. And it was actually content marketing for my original business. Right. Because I had a business in med school where I was helping kids get into med school. I would run real life courses where we'd book a hotel conference room in Manchester and like I'd teach 30 kids how to do well in their BMAT or their interviews or whatever. Right, right, right. And so a few years into growing this business, things started plateauing and I was like, I need some content marketing. <laughs> and so no one was doing video then. And I thought, right. okay, how hard can it be? Bought some cameras, bought a microphone. How hard can it be? Yeah. Filmed myself for the very first time and started being like, hey guys, here's how you do well and here's how you apply to med school. And... My reasoning was, I mean, content marketing. If 100 people saw this video, hopefully three of them would think, this guy sounds legit. I want to sign up for his course. So that was the initial driver. So, but now we're looking, I mean, let's throw some vanity metrics up here a little bit. Uh, two YouTube channels or three? Yeah, you know, we've got the podcast channel. We've got the main channel. We've got a second channel. Main, right. main channel has, I think, 3.8 million subscribers. Podcast has just hit 180K. So that's nice in the last year. And yeah, business is doing, I think last year we did 4.6 million top line uh, dollars revenue with about 2 million-ish profit dollars, which is just absolutely absurd. It's like 20 years worth of working as a doctor in a single year of doing this business stuff. And I, I, st I still can't believe it. It's just utterly ridiculous. I watched one of your videos um, not so long ago. I think it might have been over the Christmas break, actually, where you broke down how you made all the money you made last year. Um, but to the point where it was like every single income stream. So there's Google ads, there was sponsorships, which was a relatively new thing, but now it's kind of blowing up. Um, course sales, you know, all that sort of stuff as well. What I liked about you in that particular video was that you were super transparent about everything. And I think that is something that needs to be done more and more and more in the creator space. I think a lot of people are really disillusioned with the idea of like, oh, I want to be a hotshot on YouTube kind of thing. I want to have the gold button behind me and all that sort of stuff. But they don't talk about how they do it. They don't talk about where the money comes from. A lot of them don't anyway. I'm not saying they're necessarily hiding, but certainly keeping things quite close to their chest. And it reminds me a little bit of my buddy Pat Flynn. When he got into blogging all those years ago, he used to do these monthly... Did you used to read them? Uh, Pat Flynn's monthly income reports are the reasons why are the reason why I'm so transparent on the internet. Those were so helpful, and I was just so inspired by the fact that he, I was just, just like, why don't more bloggers do this? This is so interesting. Right. And so when the YouTube channel started doing well, I thought, hang on, those blog posts that I used to read back in the day, why don't I just do the same thing on YouTube? Yep. And those videos then started to take off with people commenting, oh my god, this is so helpful. Yep. I just thought, great, <laughs> let's keep doing it. So is there going to be a time when you stop? 
because there was with Pat. I rem- in fact, actually, I remember very explicitly, we were at Vegas at a conference together, both speaking at this conference. And I said to him, you, you're getting to the point now where you're talking about making, I think it was something like, you know, a couple of hundred grand a month or 150 grand a month or whatever it was. And I said to him, like, how much longer are you going to be comfortable with the idea of everybody on the internet who wants to know being able to find out exactly how much money you're making? You've got kids, you know, you've got all these things. So like, is there a number in your head where you foresee potentially turning off that tap? so to speak. Mm. I thought about this a lot this time around. I, I'm not sure. I think if it was just me, I would do it forever because I don't really care. It's like whatever, it's transparency and stuff. But, you know. But let me just, just family, as a caveat kids, there, yeah. we just went around the corner to buy a sandwich and you got stopped twice by people. Mm. Are you Ali Abdul? Mm. On the street, randomly, in London, right? And I mean, that, that one day, that could become serious. That day, one day, that could be you're that dude who makes all that money on YouTube. Get in the back of the van. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's it can be quite scary. Yeah, honestly, I'm not so concerned about it for myself. But when, like, family and kids and stuff starts to come into the picture, right. I like... So I thought about it very hard this time around. Hmm. So maybe next year, we'll see what happens to before. So how many of these videos have you done, these types of videos? Oh, I do them every year. So once a year for the last few years. Three, four years. Yeah. Okay, right. What do you think has been the biggest kind of turning point where you had that first big hockey stick moment on the channel growth itself was it quitting being a doctor and going all in on it or did you start seeing some spikes before then yeah so um it took me 52 videos and six months to hit the first thousand subscribers right that was in my first six months of youtube 52 videos on average two videos a week and around about video number 80 so i was on like 3,000 subscribers or something just sort of slow trickle over time video number 80 was a video that i wanted to make on day one it was like a half an hour long video about how to study for exams where i thought I, ha- I had some level of like market uh, market insight here because a few years prior, I'd just done a talk at university called How to Study for Your Exams. And it was meant to be for 10 people, but then this Facebook event page went viral out in the university com- community. Like it got 20,000 impressions, like a thousand people hit attending on this Facebook event wow. back in like 2013 or something. And so we had to book out a new room, a whole like lecture theater. And like we had hundred plus people packed in wanting to hear me talk about the evidence around how to study for exams. And so I knew that there was a a market for that kind of stuff. And when I started my channel, I had in the back of my mind, one day I want to do a video, basically doing that talk, but in video format. And I think it could go big. But I knew I didn't want that to be video number one because I didn't know how to make videos. I knew nothing about cameras, editing, lighting, any of that. I wanted to be video number 101 because I was like, in my first 100 videos, surely I'll learn how to do video as well so that I can release this banger. And it ended up being video number 80. And then that video ended up doing well. So what you're trying to say is you're an overachiever. Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it would be number 100, but I, had, I got there in eight. You know, I was thinking, <laughs> no, how hard could it be? Um, and around the same time, I did a collab with a bigger YouTuber as well from, from university. And those two events coincided. Actually, I think the collab came first. And then I saw, oh crap, this collab's coming out. I need to accelerate the release of this potentially viral video because I knew that I could get eyeballs on my channel and those eyeballs would hopefully convert to subscribers and stuff. Yeah, I mean, when you think about YouTube growth, now I've got a YouTube channel. I've got 15,000 plus subscribers. I'm awful at YouTube. I'm terrible with consistency. You know, the podcast has been coming out every single week. We've taken a couple of little breaks, but every single week for years and years and years and years. It's easy. I like it. It is what it is. YouTube, maybe I stress over it a little bit too much. I worry about angles and lights and audios and all that kind of stuff. But I'm terrible at YouTube, ultimately. 
With that being said, though, I know I've got business directly from my channel because people tell me, oh, I discovered you on this video or through this interview or whatever it is. But collabs for the longest time, well, at least used to be kind of like one of the big silver bullets, right, for growing a channel quickly. You team up with other people and blah, blah, blah. Is it still as big as it was, say, five, six years ago? No, unfortunately not. Most people I know who've tried collabs these days say that they just don't really do anything. Why is that, do you think? I think collabs work, I think back in the day, subscribers were very important and you would hit the subscribe button and then it would, it would be surface to you. Now all of YouTube is algorithmic. They've even changed the color of the subscribe button so it's black and not red, so it stands out less. So subscriber is almost purely a vanity metric at this point because mm -hmm. it's so algorithmically based. And so if you do a collab with someone where there is a perfect kind of, uh, a perfect mm, marriage of your two audiences and like, okay, then a lot of the audience might convert to a subscriber and might genuinely watch videos. But back in the day, people often grew. I think I think the lifestyle vlogger type thing, like if David Dobrik's doing a vlog and he's got a mate and the mate does similar kinds of vlog content, people will watch that and both channels will grow. But unless there is that absolutely perfect audience kind of marriage between the two, the two channels, people might hit subscribe because they'll be like, oh, I'm going to do my mate a favor by hitting subscribe on this. Right, right, right. But if they don't watch the videos, the algorithm's thinking, this person's now got lots of subscribers that are inactive, they're not watching their content, it's gonna push it out a lot less and kind of almost dampen down the effect on, on that channel. So collabs are not the magic bullet that they once were. Sure. So for somebody like me, for example, who's had this channel up there for years and years and years, I think it was like 2008 it was created or something. It's got, I don't know how many other videos were on there, a couple of hundred maybe or something. I mean, it's a bad channel in that regards in terms of metrics, right? But like at this point in the game, with the algorithm being the way it is, is it a better idea for me to try and revive that channel and bring, if I wanted to get really serious about it, is it a better idea to try and revive and bring back to life those 15,000 subs who are clearly asleep? Or do I start afresh, brand new channel, brand new metrics, brand new slate, the whole kit and caboodle? Um, I would say keep it on the same channel. Um, I don't think it's a case of trying to revive the 15,000 subscribers because they're probably, you know, if it, if, it, if it was over years, they're probably, I don't know, moved on with their lives. They've forgotten you exist. They've yeah. maybe stopped carrying a business or, you know, that, that kind of stuff. But it is still a subscriber base. And maybe if even 1% of those is your initials, like essentially when you make a new video, YouTube will push it out to a few people. And if those people watch the video and they enjoy the video, it'll push it out to more people. Right. But you already have a pre-existing base, however small that might be, depending right. on how inactive people are. Um, but I think at this point, to grow beyond 15,000, you probably need, probably to treat it more like a business. Like do the market analysis, figure out what's your competitive edge, figure out what's the unique message you want to share. You've got all the Upreneur stuff. That's absolutely fantastic. There's still a lot of demand for the, the virtual assistant type stuff. Sure. So you as an authority in that space, I think the fact that you are 50 years old is also an unfair advantage because there are so many 22-year-old life coaches, multimillionaire kids on the internet <laughs> days. Life coach at yeah, 22. Yeah, exactly. Te yeah. Teaching you how to make passive income. You know, <laughs> I'm a life guru at 28. It's kind of weird. And so, <laughs> the irony and, is just shocking. I know, right. um, And so people with more life experience... <laughs> Sharing this kind of content, I think, is actually an unfair advantage here. Yeah, fair play. Okay, let's switch back to how great you are then. So um, things have changed a lot for you in the last couple of years since you've gone all in on YouTube. How does your day look today when Ali comes to work? What does that look like today compared to what it looked like all those years ago when you were running around the hospital? Yeah, that's a great question. I haven't thought about that. So uh, let's say 2018 or 2019, just pre-pandemic. Uh, this is what my day used to look like. I'd wake up in the morning around like 6 a.m. I'd have to leave the house by seven to get to work for eight because work started at eight. And 
I spent most of my time there on the obstetrics and gynecology placement. So I'd spend my days dealing with women with early pregnancy bleeding or running for to assist in emergency cesarean sections. Um, and then throughout the day from like 8, 8 a.m. to like 5 p.m., in between small moments of time here and there, let's say I've just seen a patient and I've got to wait for some blood results, I would go on the Windows computer at work, open up Notion and think, okay, how can I use this 10 minutes to plan my next video? And I'd be slowly planning videos in pockets of time here and there. I would take a short lunch, lunch break so that I could sit on my phone and plan another video. And then after work, I'd get home from work around like six-ish, sometimes go to the gym. And in the evening, I would either film a video or I would spend a few hours editing a video. Um, and sometimes I would think, oh, I've got, not, I've got a night shift coming up and therefore I've got two days off after my night shift two weeks from now. In those two days, I want to film 10 videos. Right. And so I'd spend the next two weeks trying to- Prepping prep for the batch. Prepping for the batch, exactly. Yeah. Batch filming really, really helped. Um, I was doing all the editing myself for the first two years. And then my life completely changed when a mentor of mine said, dude, you've got to outsource your editing. And I was like, oh, I, tr I tried hiring an editor in the Philippines for $5 an hour. It didn't really work. And he was like, how many people did you trial? I said one. He was like, okay, you've got to try more people than that. Like, Try, try more than one person and pay you more than five. Exactly. So he said, try more than one person, <laughs> pay them 25 pounds an hour. Yeah, there you go. So that day I, I created a new job ad. I found an editor and my life changed when I outsourced my editing. Yeah, exactly. So, though, so now, what does a day look like for Ali? Now what a day looks like, I wake up at seven, I make my coffee, I go for a walk to the local prep to get my steps in and use my prep coffee subscription, come back with my, with my little coffee. Uh, nine o'clock, usually I'm there in the studio, which is in the same house. Uh, a few team members are there as well. We'll have a little bit of banter. And the first thing I do is I- A bit of banter. Bit of banter, you know. Oh, you, know you can tell, okay, this is great. Yeah. So I wanna just, just, let's just oh, go yeah, in there for a minute. This is the difference between people your age yep. and people my age. What do you call it? Uh, well, I mean, we just call it banter. Okay. There's nothing wrong with a real word. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's a perfectly good word. It's been around for a long, long time. Why do, why do the young people of today have to start breaking down perfectly good words yeah. to shorter words. Bants. I mean, I get it. You've got to shorten everything. Yeah. You have to. Because... For the bants. <laughs> for the bants. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, go on. Keep going. So, Brett, back here. Yeah, just chill. Sort of film a video. These days I've decided first thing I want to do each morning is film a video because that's ultimately what keeps the business machine yeah. going. Keep the main thing the main thing. Exactly. Right. Main thing the main thing. And then usually, you know, I'll think about the video. We'll have a title and thumbnail prepped in advance. I'll kind of figure out on a, this A3 pad uh, what the structure of the video is going to be. I film the video. And then usually it's like 12, 1 p.m. So then me and the team will either go out for lunch or order lunch in, depending on who's around. And then the afternoon is usually I go to the local WeWork and I work on writing my book, um, which is in the editing stages right now for a few hours. And then, and then I'll go to the gym. And usually I'm back home around like 6.37. And I try my best to keep my evenings work-free because I know that left at my own devices, I would just 100% just work all the time. Yeah, when we were in, yeah. we, we were in the, the the line, the queue, um, getting our sandwiches there before we came back to record this, and you said that you're working more hours per capita, per capita every day, every week, every month than you were when you were a doctor, which a lot of people would be like, wow, aren't doctors like horrifically overworked? So saying that out loud, but then you followed that up very quickly with, but it doesn't feel like work because I'm just enjoying this stuff yeah. like so much. Um, is there any part of what you're doing now as a full-time creator slash YouTuber that you don't like, mm. that you're still doing yourself? Yeah, good question. Um, running courses. So okay. I often think if I won the lottery, what would change about my calendar? And when I was a doctor, a lot would have changed about my calendar because sure. if I won the lottery, I would, I would quit medicine. Um, but now if I won the lottery, honestly, most of my calendar would stay exactly how it is, except running courses. 
And so that insight that I had while journaling on an airplane a few months ago, you know, we've been running this live cohort course for the last few years, the Part-Time YouTuber Academy. How many cohorts? Uh, we've done like, the eighth one is coming up. Right. So every three or four months. And how many people gone through in those eight cohorts? Uh, like 2,300, 2,500, something like that. Okay. Um, but that, it, it was fun the first couple of times, but then saying the same kind of stuff kind of started to get a bit draining and having a business where half of our revenue is reliant on these three launch windows every year yeah. was also quite stressful. And it makes a lot of money, but it was not, I realized it's not in line with what I fundamentally want to do. Which is? Which is spend my time reading, writing, learning, and teaching, but doing it for free on the internet or in books and on my own terms. Right. Not feeling confined like, oh, I've got like, I've, I've, I've got to be here on Monday the 12th because at 4 p.m. we've got a live session where yeah. I need yeah. to make sure my internet's good. 500 people are going to be there. people are going to be there. They pay a lot of money for it. Like, oh yeah. my yeah. God, I've been invited to this conference in Dubai, but I can't go because like, I've got to be here for this thing. All of that kind of stuff started to get a bit annoying. Very much a first world problem. But. Yes. Well, yeah, I was about to say, I mean, there are worse situations you could be in, right? Yeah. But with that being said, though, you know, I, I think and personally, I mean, as I've, you know, 18 years I've been building and, and, and growing and selling, buying, quitting, you know, businesses here and there. I can honestly say that as time has gone by, there are certain things now that I just will not allow to be part of my work day. But that doesn't mean that I've not had to roll up my sleeves and take care of them before in the past. The only difference now is that I'm acutely aware of the fact that I don't like doing that stuff. Therefore, I'm just not going to do it by hook or by crook, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I think that a lot of people early on in their careers, like the first 10, maybe first eight to 10 years or so, you've, you've got to deal with a little bit of crap and you've got to kind of roll up your sleeves and you've got to, quote unquote, hustle right but it seems to me like you might be a little bit of an anomaly at this particular moment in time being you know only 28 going on 29 with the income that you've got and then with the you know the team that you've got around you as well like you're in a very unique position where you are a hop and a skip ahead of people that are maybe within the same sort of age group and focal point that maybe have been working on it as long as you or maybe not as long as you but like you're you're in this position now where you can kind of do what you want right now but the fact that you want to keep it real and just you know teach and do cool stuff and all that stuff that has to be inspiring i mean people stop you in the street yeah it's quite nice yeah like i realized um i was i think it was just as the pandemic happened you know everyone had a bit of a reevaluation of life priority yep. and i found this exercise on the internet where it was like um Imagine, imagine you're dead and imagine uh, what would you want written on your gravestone? Uh, and what, what would you want people to say at your funeral? Mm. And I thought, I actually, th I, th I thought about that and I realized on my gravestone, I only really cared about three things. I wanted to have a good husband, good dad, and something like inspirational teacher. Right. And that was a very kind of strong realization for me because I realized I didn't actually care. Like if someone at my funeral was like, he was an incredible surgeon, he saved so many lives, that would not register for me as being fulfilling but if someone said he was a great teacher he changed so many lives suddenly that that felt like internally brought me joy and like all that all the good good feelings yeah and i realized that for my whole life you know from the age of 13 i was doing tutoring for maths at the local kumon study center in south end on sea and i've just been doing teaching every single year from 13 till right now right. and that's the thing that really brought me joy so i realized if that's what i care about how can i optimize for living the kind of life where i can be a teacher yeah but you don't like the cohort-based stuff now, so you're getting rid of that and focusing in it. What, what's what's going to happen with that course? Is it going evergreen? Yeah, it's going evergreen. Um, we've got, we're going to have an evergreen product. People can buy it whenever they want. Yeah, it's all right. pre-recorded stuff. And we'll, yep. we'll maybe add a few live components because I, I enjoy the live interaction, preferably in real life. 
So we've ho we've hosted a few meetups here in London. We're going to do mm -hmm. some in New York. It's super fun meeting people IRL, but less fun. It's it's a lot less fun for me meeting people on Zoom. IRL. There's an, there's another millennial. <laughs> yep, uh, absolutely. Boost. I, uh, that for, for everybody my age tuning in, that means in real life, everybody. Um, I love it, and I I like I like the fact that you want to bring it in in real life. I like the fact that you want to show up. You want to be there in person because I think a lot of people do what they do online because they don't want to do all that stuff. They want it easy, right? They want to do the easy. They want to take the easy route because doing it online, never have to leave my house. I don't have to deal with travel and, you know, people and all that kind of stuff. What is it about surrounding yourself with other people, particularly those that you can genuinely help and serve that inspires you the most, do you think? I think one of my, one of my life philosophies, it sounds cringe as a 28-year-old, one of my life philosophies is that um, I want to try and focus like all the work I'm doing, I, I want it to feel as if it's a source of energy rather than if it's a, rather than feel like it's draining me. Hmm. And I feel like that's been the secret to my productivity in inverted commas. People always ask, how are you so productive? It's like, because I genuinely try and make every single thing I do energizing rather than draining. And for me, like being around people and being around the sorts of people that I vibe with is a huge source of energy. You know, this podcast, for example, could grow more if we did more Zoom interviews and got bigger names because it's way easier to get someone on a Zoom or Riverside than it is to coordinate calendars and get yeah. come here in real life when we yeah. them. But it's just way more fun and way more energizing doing cool. it in real life. And, and the relationships that you build, and I mean, this is the first time we've met each other, even though we've been connected for a few years, we've not really talked a whole lot. But now this is exactly yeah. the chances of us staying, quote unquote, in touch better yeah. is right up through the roof compared to if we'd have just done this on Zoom. Exactly. I think. And, the, and, and there's a quote from that, that I like from Derek Sivers, which is, you know, never forget why you're doing what you're doing. Uh, is your business profitable? Uh, are you serving customers? Are they happy? Uh, are you happy? Isn't that enough? And it's like, Business is profitable. Yeah. I'm happy. Customers are happy. Life is good. And so the point of a business is to, you know, unlock a fulfilling life. So yeah. why not sacrifice some growth and some numbers in return for a happier and more fulfilled life? Agreed. I love Derek. He's such a cool guy. We hung up, we, we hang out with each other years ago in Thailand. And uh, we're talking a long time ago. And and he just came across to me as one of those dudes that like you want in your corner. Yeah. Like I need some help. I need some advice. I'm going to call Derek. Uh, He's local now as well. Oh, uh, he moved back to New Zealand, unfortunately. Oh, he, he, he was in Oxford for a while. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay, well, hey. Yeah, what can you do? <laughs> what, what are you going to do? Yeah. We, we didn't really like him that much anyway. All right, Derek, if you're listening in, brother, you know I love you. Um, okay, a couple of last quick, quick questions then. So, I mean, you've got a decent-sized team here helping you do everything you do. Can you break it down role-wise just so people, like, at the numbers that you're running and everything, what does that look like from a day-to-day -day stuff team? Sure. So we've, I think we've got 14 people in total. Uh, we kind of split our team up into the content squad and the money squad. Content squad, their only job is to make amazing content. Right. Money squad, their job is to try and make the business profitable by monetizing said content. Yeah. So, Are you on both squads? Uh, I am. Uh, to, to use the traction EOS methodology, the visionary, we have an integrator, Angus, who's our general manager. Right. And then it's, it's flat, flat structure, the rest of it. Right, and we're there. So breaking that down, Content Squad, we have Amber, who's behind us, who's our podcast producer. So Amber is head Amber's of... Amber's exceptional, by the way. Amber is fantastic. She's yeah. great. Um, so Amber is head of podcast. We have Tintin, who is our YouTube YouTube buddy. I call him in inverted commas, but he's like our YouTube producer. I don't, I don't really know what these titles mean, but he's basically in charge. <laughs> you, do you know what Tintin's doing? He's in charge of the YouTube channel. Right, okay, that's a good thing. Coming up with ideas and making sure the uh, pipeline for content is all scheduled. Now, does he also involved in, you know, making sure that the algo loves you? Like, is he handling, 
you know, thumbnail creations and running, yeah. you know, all that keyword yeah. stuff and everything as well. Yeah, keywords less so because they algo cares a lot less about keywords these days. I like how you said algo rather than algorithm. I'm trying to perfectly fine word. <laughs> what I'm trying to do is I'm tr I'm trying to go up to your level now, right? That that, that young young man's level. Yeah. yeah. So, so so Tintin spends his time. Uh, like I'll I'll come up with an idea for a video, but then it needs a title and a thumbnail because we don't even entertain the thought of writing a video until it's got a title and a thumbnail. Now that's interesting because yeah. maybe this is one of the reasons why my channel's never done all that well because we make the video first and then try and yeah. figure out what the thumbnail is. This is one of the biggest kind of differences Ooh. between like the, okay. the noob and the pro when it, when it comes to YouTube. Yep, so I'm a noob now as well. Well, you know, when it comes to, uh, yeah. No, I'm down with the noobs. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. That's fine, yeah. Uh, title and thumbnail first. So he spends his time looking at that. He spends his time on analytics as well, meaning yep. like anything we can glean from what's happening and retention curves, all that stuff. Yep. So we've got Amber in podcast, Tintin on YouTube. We have Becky on the video social medias. So she's in charge of Facebook and TikTok and Instagram. Mm -hmm. And we have Gareth who's in charge of the written social medias, LinkedIn, Twitter, and the email newsletter. Yep. Kind of. Um, and then we have two editors, video editors on content team. And I think that's content team. And then on the money squad, we have Tommy who is our head of like the, the courses side on the content. We have Jakob who's our head of marketing. So he does all the email automations and all that stuff yep. and the ads and everything. And we have Alison, who's our head of customer success. So making sure all of the students we have in our YouTuber Academy are having a fantastic time. And we have Angus as the general manager. And we have Dan as my sort of part-time EA executive assistant, but also he does our legal finance, HR, admin, anything that, that sort of stuff. Cool. Related. So are these people full-time on site with you here all the time or are they remote? Or is it a combo that's... Yeah, it's kind of like a hybrid-y type thing. On Mondays in particular, quite a few people are in. Yep. Um, other days of the week, it's like whoever wants to turn up can turn up. So usually Angus is here, the, my general manager. Tintin, my YouTube buddy, is usually here, which is handy because then he and I riff on ideas a lot. Uh, Amber will come in when we've got podcast stuff happening or if yep. we're making a video. So yeah, it's all very, very chill. And we're, also, we're, we're all going to Portugal for a week just to work from there in about three weeks. So I think that'll be... How much work is going to happen in Portugal, Ali? Let's be honest. I mean, I'm I'm hoping quite a lot of work will happen. <laughs> if any of the team are listening to this, <laughs> Amber's over your shoulder going, oh, <laughs> yeah. we're not going to have any work going on. Um, so, I mean, okay. So here's the last question then. A lot of people, I mean, you've clearly built this business based around you, your personal brand, your style, your expertise, et cetera, et cetera, right? A lot of people would say, well, that it's great and everything, but like, how do you continue to scale that personal brand? Now, this is a loaded question because I know the answer to this question because obviously I teach people to do this, but I'm curious to know like everything that's happened over the last two, three, four, five years, what does the next five years look like in terms of growth, in terms of what you, where do you want to be in five years from now personally and where do you want the business to be? That's a good question. I think for me, I am happy with our current revenue and profit i think i don't want to grow in terms of the money side of things okay uh i want to grow in terms of i want to continue writing and releasing books and i want the message to be spread further so partly the reason why we started the podcast is because i was approaching the limits of my own expertise on productivity sure and so the fact that we can now interview experts on personal branding or we just interviewed a gut a gut health expert that kind of stuff means that i can now turn the expertise of other people into long form podcasts, but also chop up sound bites and turn them into interesting YouTube videos. Yeah. So for me, that's just my jam. I just like learning cool things and being able to teach them. Yep. And so if we can sustain, you know, 2 million profit a year, you know, that's fine. Uh, if we can limit the team to not so big that I have to, I have to get involved in management and all that kind of stuff. And if I can continue learning and teaching on my own terms, 
that's really what the what the vision is i guess mm. i don't know uh, have you got any tips any advice um, no i mean I, I i think the biggest tip i can give you is i mean you've clearly built a great structure in terms of i like the fact that you're separating the team between content and money um, I think a lot of people in your position will probably just be all about the content and look at the money as kind of like an added extra kind of benefit, uh, you know, means to an end sort of type of thing. Um, but the fact that you're, I mean, you're clearly very methodical in the way that you have broken things down from a team perspective. My biggest tip, and I don't think this is going to be a problem with you, but my biggest tip would be that when this book comes out, what is the title of the book going to be? Um, you don't know yet. Don't know yet. Or you can't say. I'll tell you off the off the record. Okay. Well, what we think it might be. Yeah, yeah you guys are tuning in. <laughs> I get the scoop and you don't. But don't worry, because when it happens, we'll have him come back on the show. Nice. Um, when that book comes out, my biggest advice would be to try and get it into as many pairs of hands as possible, as quickly as possible after it's released. Mm. You know, a good book will be around forever. We know this. 97% of all non-fiction books sell less than a 1,000 copies in their lifetime. Not in launch mode, but in their lifetime. But for you, for any creator, for any author, to consistently sell a book month in, month out, year in, year out, that does more for legacy and impact than any dollar, euro, or pound decimal point will ever do. Because uh, what we're doing here is is... We're creating ripples through the work that we do around the world and the people that we come into contact with, whether it be directly or indirectly. So my advice is take this book because it's the one thing. There are people who read a book that will never watch a YouTube video, right? So take that book and go hard when that book comes out on making sure that it gets into as many hands as possible. Nice. Love it. Yeah. Thank you. Cool. Well, on that phenomenal piece of gold advice, we will end this uh, episode of the show. Ali, thank you for coming along and uh, inviting me in to your lovely studio here in London. Thanks for coming down. Thanks for having me. All right. And for you guys tuning in, we'll be back again with another episode of the show very, very soon. Until then, take good care. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Youpreneur FM. We'll be back next week. But in the meantime, why not head over to our official website at youpreneur.com to access all our tools and resources essential to building, marketing, and monetizing a future-proof business based around your expertise. We'll see you next time.